Say good morning, St. Clair, or something like that. So I thought I'd start with hello. Uh, my name is Matt Pamplin. I'm on pastoral staff here at St. Clair. I met some new people this morning, which is always uh, encouraging for us. So if you're new, you're joining us in a series uh, during the period of Lent, uh, which historically for the church has been the 40 days. Lent is the build-up to Easter. It's this time of preparation where the church historically has fasted certain things so they can focus on who God is and what God is saying to them. We've been looking at Psalm 63 as our text for Lent. But I kind of want to use this morning as a bit of a bridge between Lent and Easter. In certain traditions, especially younger churches or non-traditional churches, often Easter is Palm Sunday and then Good Friday. But actually, when we look through Holy Week, there's a bunch of different events that are deeply significant that we can actually pass over if we're not careful. See what I did there? Passover. Oh, clever. That was the best I've got, people. Come on. Um, It's only downhill from here. So there's a week, and one of the key events is actually the Thursday of that week where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And often we can miss that, but I think it's deeply significant as an event, particularly for us in our world today. So this morning, as we look at the life of Jesus, particularly what's happening in John 13, I want to talk about something this morning that is very important. It's something that happens every day in our interactions with each other. It's something that is going on every day that you exist on planet Earth, but often not something we talk about a lot, particularly in the church. And that is power. This morning, I want to talk about power. I think we often don't talk about it in the church because it actually scares us because we grew up, I grew up with power being a negative thing. You know that famous phrase, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So then we think, oh, this must be bad. And then we look around at the world of politics, of business, even within the church, and we just see terrible abuses of power. So that scares us. And that is legitimate because power has been abused. I realize the irony of a white, middle-class, educated male speaking about power this morning. And I do want to say it's good for us to recognize there are some within our community who carry power. That is a lot of us. If we have some sense of education, how we were brought up, we do carry power. So I do want to say that. But there's actually quite a few people who don't carry a sense of social power in our community. But I want to say this morning, maybe power isn't bad, The question is, what do we do with it when we have it? Maybe power is even a gift that God gives us. This is what Andy Crouch says when he talks about power. He says, power has often been seen as negative, something dangerous to be avoided, rather than a gift to be stewarded. Then this comes on the screen. Power is a gift. Power is not given to benefit those who hold it. Buckle in your seatbelts, this is going to be good. It is given for the flourishing of individuals, peoples, and the cosmos itself. Power's right use is especially important for the flourishing of the vulnerable, the members of the human family who most need others to use power, to use power well to survive and thrive. The young, the aged, the sick, and the dispossessed. Power is not the opposite of servanthood. Rather, servanthood, ensuring the flourishing of others, is the very purpose of power. If you remember nothing else, keep that from Andy Crouch this morning. See, power is actually a creative force that God gives us. And we see that right at the beginning. God, the one with ultimate power, 
speaks into being and he creates the world, this creative force, and he says, let there be. And then he says he creates humankind in his image and says, I want you to represent me to the world and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you ultimate authority. You get to steward the garden. Humanity is given power by God. But here's what happens in Genesis 3. Humankind decides, I kind of want to take power for myself. I'm not going to use it to steward it for the creation or the good of others. I'm going to use it for my own ends and my own means because I want to be like God myself. And then we see fracture coming into the world. But power is a creative force that God gives us. The question is, how will we use it? And if we're honest, when we look around us, it's used in ways that are harmful and detrimental to others. Richard Raw has a wonderful line. He says, the Western world, he talks about the US, but I think it's true of the West. The narrative of the Western world is the winner's script. Winning is paramount. The icons and heroes of our age are the people who are the most successful. Life is about winning, and we need to do whatever we must to win in this world. Who has the most Instagram followers? Who has the biggest bank accounts? Who has achieved the most success? We love, in the West, we love self-made people. We're all part of this self-salvation project. One author says the world is a pyramid. The most powerful are on top and everyone else is scrambling to get to the top, but the majority live on the bottom. Rob Wilkins, when writing about um, this idea of down and also this idea of power, says this. In the vocabulary of the world, down is a word reserved for losers, cowards, and the bear market. It is a word to be avoided or ignored and certainly not discussed seriously, especially in polite society. It is a word that colors everything it touches, even the otherwise proper company of the word it keeps, down and out, downfall, downscale, downhill, downhearted, and worst of all, down under. That's not for the Australians. I just want to point that out. A word, it seems, only on the unfortunate lips of the weak, poor, and the dead. If all of that weren't enough, there is the crowning blow against the word. Its antonym is up. And up in our high-voltage society is a word that has come to be cherished, almost worshipped. It is a word reserved for winners, heroes, and those that succeed. It is a word to be admired and pursued the unspoken talk of the party, the way to influence whoever is present, upscale, up-and-coming, upwardly mobile, upper-class, the word of the chosen few and strong. See, in our culture, strength is winning and weakness is losing. But what if weakness is actually strength? See, we try hard at school to get qualifications, to get the best degree, to get to the best school, so we can get the best job, to make the most money, so our kids can get the best qualifications, to get a degree, to get in the best school, so they can get a good job, so they can most money, so their kids can. And we go on and on. And we live in a world of survival of the fittest. Let's be honest, if you can't produce for us or help us, then we will discard you. How a society treats their most vulnerable, those without power, says everything about that society. Often people are disposable. 
I don't have time to talk about this, but if you want to look about how power is used well, just Google Jean Vanier and listen to him for about an hour and you will weep. So he's a good example of the most of the people who've been discarded in our world, what they're doing at Larsh. But maybe, as I said earlier, power isn't actually bad. The question is, as we look around the world and where power is abused, how will the people of God use the power they have to bless others? And I think the story rooted in the Gospel of John, in John 13, is our example of this. If you have a Bible, we're just going to look at John 13. It was read earlier by Jamie. It starts out by saying this, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This is rooted in within Holy Week. The, the Passover festival is the gathering of all the Jewish people. It's historic in their tradition. We see that in the story of Exodus. And so Jesus is gathering around a meal table as he would with these Jewish people followers and they're eating together at Passover and he says Jesus is with those that he loves we just need to remember that for a moment we skip over these verses to get to the foot washing because that looks good but he says Jesus loves those right to the end these are his own you need to know this morning as Aaron sung earlier with the crew you cannot exhaust the love of God you cannot outrun it you kind of move away from it. The love of God is for us and it's coming for us. And that's what it says about Jesus. The evening meal, verse two, was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Again, I read this this week and thought, Jesus knows what's going on. He knows Judas will betray him and he still washes his feet. I wonder if Judas had the money that he'd sold Jesus with somewhere on his person. And as Jesus is washing his feet, he feels this money that he know he'd betrayed Jesus with. If you ever want to see enemy love demonstrated, it's Jesus saying, Judas, I still love you. And I will still wash your feet, even though you will betray me. Verse three, Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. What a verse. At this point, God the Father had given Jesus ultimate power and authority. It doesn't get better than this. This is the point where Jesus has every piece of power that he could possibly need. And so what is Jesus' response to being given power? So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. The response to power is different to what we might expect. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. I'm just going to invite Joe Moran up this morning. I was thinking about this a lot this week, and I can teach you this morning, but I actually thought maybe one of the best ways is to just demonstrate what is going on here. 
this morning. So Jesus got up from the table, took off his outer garment, and then he went round to the disciples washing their feet. It says he poured water into a basin. And he started to wash their feet. And as he's washing their feet, he gets to Peter. And, he's, and Peter says to him, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus says, you don't quite understand. But later you will understand. Which I think is very prophetic, maybe for some of us this morning. There are things going on in our lives that we don't quite understand that Jesus is doing. But maybe at a later point, we will understand. And then Peter says, but you cannot wash my feet. You see, Peter understands the way the world works. See, Jesus is his leader, is his rabbi. Jesus is the top of the pyramid. To a Jewish person, Washing feet is the worst thing you could imagine. We see in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses takes off his shoes. He's being reverent to God at the burning bush, but also he knows the bottom of my soles and my shoes are unclean. If I'm going to meet with the Holy One, I cannot take my feet into this space. If you know anything about Middle Eastern culture, to show someone the bottom of your feet is a deep insult. In fact, the worst thing you could do is throw a shoe at someone. Peter knows how the world works. Maybe a Gentile slave could wash feet, but a Jewish person wouldn't. But a rabbi, a leader, a teacher, the one at the top of the pyramid. And Jesus says to Peter, unless you wash, let me wash your feet, you can have no part with me. That seems like, oh, that's pretty tough, Jesus. Jesus is being really serious here. And the word part later on in the New Testament is translated as being part of a body. Jesus is saying, to be with me, to be in relationship with me, you have to let me do this. Because here's how it's going to go, Peter. You're going to serve the church and you're going to be a leader. And for leaders in the kingdom, everything is upside down. If you have power, here's what you do. You give it away for those that don't have power. Power is always leverage for those that don't have it. And Jesus says, Peter, unless you get this lesson, you can't be my friend and my disciple. I cannot stress this enough. Jesus is pretty serious here. So Peter's response obviously is, great, then go for it. Wash every part of me. After Jesus interacted with the disciples, it says he takes the towel and he dries off their feet. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. It's a very intimate act to wash someone's feet. Jesus does it individually with every single person while everyone else is watching on. 
This is a deeply tactile, personal thing. I think Jesus is saying love is personal and love is tactile. In the kingdom, how we love people is not abstract. In the kingdom, how we love people is deeply personal. Do we take time for people? Do we interact with them? Again, or do we just brush them off and see them as just a number in our culture or actually part of the human race? After Jesus has washed their feet, it says this, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. Verse 15, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Nowhere else in the New Testament does Jesus say that. I have set you an example. I have modeled it for you. See, this isn't parable or metaphor. I think Jesus is saying hypothetically, Jesus is saying, I've set you the example. Now, I don't think Jesus is saying, take your towel and your bowl everywhere you go to wash everyone's feet. But he's actually saying, will you serve people? That's why you have power. And he's really strong here. I've set you an example. If anything is going to mark the people of God, it is servanthood and humility. Because all the world is desperate for his power. How subversive would it be? If the people of God said, you're made in my image and I'm going to love you and serve you and I'm going to give away my power to help you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. There's a few times Jesus talks about blessing, but here he says, the favor of God, the blessing of God will be on your life if you serve others. I often have people say to me, how do I know God's pleased with me? How do I live in relationship with God? How do I receive the blessing of God? And then Jesus says right here, oh, if you use what you have to serve others, you just will be blessed. John Ortberg says this, he entered the world wearing swaddling clothes and exited it in the towel of a slave. Think of him however you may. Greatness looks different now. So the question is, what does this actually look like for us? How do we go with Jesus' example into the world and do what Jesus did? I think the first thing is we just have to check our own hearts and our own attitude. Maybe that'll involve some sense of repentance for us, which is a word that is not often used in Christian culture but these days, but it's this returning back to God of saying, God, here's the broken, fractured parts of my life. I want to come back to you to transform me and make me whole. Because I think it always starts with an attitude check. Who do we think we are more powerful than? Or who do we think we should be more powerful than? Well, you know, this is what they've done with their life, or this is who they are, and it's kind of their own fault. 
is one response. You know, just pull up your bootstraps. The other one is often, well, what are you going to do? It seems so hard. I, I, we just need to look out for ourselves. And yet Jesus says, oh, what if you allow me to transform you inside so you can serve others? There's a beautiful interaction in Mark's gospel, chapter 10, between James and John and Jesus. Jesus says to them, what do you want me to do for you? They say, let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left in glory. They know what's coming. Jesus is going to be glorified. Rome is going down. And when Jesus is glorified, there'll be two spots available. James, John, I think I know where we want to sit. This will be the best. Then Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they say. (laughs) Obviously, Jesus, we know what's going down. You are not going to die. You're going to rule. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. When the, ten, when the other ten heard this, they became indignant with James and John. Now, often we think they're indignant because they're like, oh, those guys, that's not what we should be asking. I just wonder if they're indignant because they're like, we should have asked that too. <laughs> so there's this debate going on between these disciples. Who knows? Then Jesus says this. He calls them together. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. I've always seen this as Jesus in his parent mode. Me at my home. This is not how pamphlets roll. We don't act like that. Jesus says to his disciples, hey kids, not so with you. This is pretty stern from Jesus. Instead, whoever wants to be great must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. If you want to be great, be a servant. Upside down, flipped on its head. But don't we want to be great in the kingdom for many of us? We actually want to make a difference with our lives. We want to do something in the world. And Jesus says, oh, greatness is okay as long as you realize what greatness looks like. It looks like serving others. So first, I think we need to check our own motivation. The second is, I think we should speak up for those with no power. Proverbs 31 verse 8 says, we're to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Sometimes in the world in which we live, it's intimidating and hard. If we raise our voice, we get shouted down. But the question is, would we raise our voice for the things that matter most? For the people who are most marginalized, for the people who don't have any power, that is where the church should thrive and actually historically has thrived. It's always funny to me when we look at... um, race relations, or we look at education, or we look at healthcare historically, the church was on the front lines of those things, saying this is not okay to treat people this way. Would we speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves? And the third one, which I think ties in a lot to Rob's message from a few weeks ago is, 
What if servanthood looks like being deeply relational and loving towards every individual we meet? See, there's some systemic things we should fight for in our culture. But often the challenge I run into is people telling me we should fight for these huge systemic things, which I totally agree with, but we're actually not willing to do the hard graft on the ground. Just to get our own hands dirty and say, we should fight for this thing and we should also just love the person in front of us. What if we, get those with power, gave their power away to love the people who are in front of us? What if the church is actually known for this? Let's be honest, you have friends or maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus and you're just checking out church. The church has quite a reputation in our day. We're known for a lot of things. But what if the people of God are known for those who actually leverage the power we have to serve others? As you go about your week, as you love people, as you look into their eye, what would that look like? To give them time to share their story, to give them dignity, not to see them as another number, which our culture does, but is someone to be loved. Let's pray. Jesus, this profound story just in many ways rocks us to our core because it goes against everything we know. Jesus, this week I asked the question, would I even be willing to let you wash my feet? Jesus, that you would come and serve in this way with the incarnation, the God who had ultimate power would give his power away. As Paul would write in Philippians 2, the one who did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a sermon and being formed in human likeness, he became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Jesus, would we pattern our lives after this? The places where we've used power and not used it wisely, where we've used it to get a foot above somebody else or to push someone out of the way. Lord, we repent. Lord, would you transform our hearts and our motivations so that we can leverage what we have so that others can be seen as image bearers. In Jesus' name, amen.